Welcome to Best True Crime Podcast, a division of Best True Crime Books, Games, and Video, LLC. I'm your lead investigator on this case, Judith A. Yates, award-winning true crime author, a criminologist, and a paranormal explorer. Every episode is an investigation where you and I explore true crime, forensics, historic cases, dark history, and criminal theory. We discuss the cases, share information, no chatter, no commercials, no off-topic. Now, grab your crime scene kit, a notebook, and your favorite hat. This is Best True Crime Podcast. The date is 2005. The place is Los Angeles, California. Your assignment is to assist the investigation and ultimate arrest of two notorious serial killers. Not only did they work in tandem, but they are females, and they were known as kindly old grandmas because they are in their 70s. This is the case of Olga and Helen, the granny grifters. This is part two of two. So, let's recap part one. In May 2006, Helen Golay, 75, and Olga Rutterschmidt, 73, are in the custody of LAPD. They're placed alone in an interrogation room. By talking to one another, they admitted insurance fraud. Both women had amassed a total of $674,571.89. Texan Helen Golay was the product of foster care, two marriages, and three children. When her long-term supervisor died in 1999, she mysteriously came into property to include parcels of land in Playa del Rey, and she owned apartments. Helen was more than shady when she was a landlord, but she kept meticulous records. She liked dressing nice and living the high life. Olga Rutterschmidt was born in Hungary in 1933. She had learned at an early age how to survive using her wits and deceit. She and her husband had immigrated to the United States in 1957. Olga became a widow in the 1970s. Olga scammed her way into Section 8 housing in a Hollywood apartment. She lived off fake injury claims, petty lawsuits, stolen mail, and credit card schemes. Helen met Olga at a West Hollywood wellness spa. They begin doing volunteer work at Hollywood's first Presbyterian church, assisting homeless people. They were known to be sweet and gregarious, volunteering Helen's free apartments for men who needed extra care. In 1997, Olga and Helen took in 71-year-old homeless man Paul Vados. The Hungarian immigrant was found dead in a dark alley in Los Angeles, California on November 8, 1999. Paul had been the victim of a hit-and-run. Posing as his family, Helen and Olga were the beneficiaries on Paul's insurance, and they collected $600,000. Now we pick up where we left off from Podcast 13, the case of Olga and Helen, the Granny Grifters. Kenneth McDavid had a craggy face. His thinning dark hair, ruddy skin, and their circles under his eyes seemed to speak of hard times and a tough life. But once he had stood tall, an old photo shows him smiling broadly, looking professional in a business suit and tie. Now we come to June 22, 2005. 
a 911 call has come crackling across the LAPD police radio. There is a deceased victim of a hit and run in a dark alley. This alley is just a few feet away from a lit street. The victim's chest and skull have been crushed. There is grease smeared across his clothes, possibly from the undercarriage of a vehicle. Initially, it seems the victim was lying down when he was struck by a car. Close to the body is a bicycle, and its front tire has been removed. But the tire is full and undamaged. A helmet, assumed to be the victim's, is placed on top of it. Investigators discover two laminated ID cards in the deceased man's pocket. The victim is identified as 50-year-old Kenneth McDavid. Leading detective Dennis Kilcoin is surveying it all, and he starts to question it. Why was the victim lying down? The grease looks like it was smeared all over his body. Why would someone stop in a dark alley to repair a bicycle tire? A tire that appears like it doesn't need repair. The alley is just a few feet away from a lit street. But the helmet is placed on the tire that's removed. Leading detective Dennis Kilcoin's suspicions are raised, and this is beginning to look more like a staged crime scene than an accident. You have a suspicious death. You have a crime scene. Now, what are we going to look for? Fanning out to question potential witnesses, investigators learn a nearby store has a CCTV camera, and it's aimed directly at the alley. Now, it's of poor quality. The video has been used and reused and used and reused, so it has been taken into evidence. As they say in the television shows, take it to the lab, see what they can get. Well, the video was taken to the lab, cleaned up, and here is what investigators watch. The video is queued up, and right around the time of Kenneth McDavid's death, a vehicle, a silver 1999 Mercury Sable station wagon, is observed driving into the alley just past the camera. Investigators watch the vehicle on video. The brake lights come on, and then all the vehicle's lights go dark. The car pulls up and then reverses several times. About five minutes later, its lights come back on and the vehicle drives away out of sight. The toxicology report reveals how sedatives had flowed through Kenneth McDavid's bloodstream, enough to knock him out, and there was no way he could have picked up a bicycle, much less rode on one. Well, the only lead they had was Kenneth McDavid's last known address. And this is why, back in the day, detectives were called gumshoes. Nothing beats old-fashioned walking and talking to people. At Kenneth's last known apartment, the manager says that Kenneth fell on hard times and had to be evicted. The manager felt bad about it, but he had to do it. Kenneth became one of the over 69,000 homeless people in Los Angeles. Now, Kenneth McDavid was not a bad guy. He was just down on his luck. The manager liked him a lot, so the manager and Kenneth stayed in touch. And this is how the manager knew that a very nice woman named Helen Golay had offered Kenneth McDavid a place to stay just until he got back on his feet. While the manager is discussing Kenneth McDavid's fate, there are two women at a window at the LAPD police station. 
and they're asking an officer about poor Kenneth McDavid. I'm his fiance, Helen Golay, says one woman, and I'm his business partner, Olga Ruddersmith, says the other woman. It seems Olga and Helen, from November 2002 to March 2003, had cared for poor Kenneth. They had given his, him a home and made sure he had enough to eat. And they were just so sad over this horrific death. But at the same time, they were asking about Kenneth's insurance policies. Both women explained they had 13 policies on Kenneth. It totaled about $3,700,000. And each of these policies listed both women as either Kenneth's fiance, his business partner, or his cousin. Now, all of this money is eventually collected because Helen wrote a threatening letter to the insurance agency. Now, as far as their beloved Kenneth, Kenneth McDavid was buried in an unmarked potter's field. The policies were just shy of two years old, so the insurance company, Mutual of New York, opens a routine investigation into these claims made on the two policies taken out on Kenneth McDavid. It's just confirming that all of the information on the policies are correct. There's an insurance investigator named Ed Webster, and he finds so many inconsistencies in the policies totaling about $1 million on these insurance forms. For example, the beneficiaries, Helen Golay and Olga Ruddersmith, described their relationship with Kenneth as business partners on the paperwork. But at the police station, they had represented it themselves as his fiance and a business partner. Later, Olga had mentioned she was also his cousin. Now Webster keeps doing some digging and notices everything on these policies is false, including where Kenneth McDavid had lived and where he had worked. So Webster tries calling these women to ask them questions about what's going on and, and to please clarify some things. And of course, they refuse to speak to him. So Webster takes the next step. He goes to the police. Now, this is one of those weird things that kind of all comes together at a very strange time. Webster goes to Detective Kilcoin, and he is talking about Kenneth McDavid's case where Kenneth winds up dead in this dark alley in L.A. by this hit and run. And it just so happens that Wilmon's desk is located just across the way. And... Remember, Wilmon worked the case of Fardos, who was also found dead from a hit and run. And he felt very strange about this hit and run, but no witnesses, no CCTV, so he just had to put it in unsolved. Well, he hears this discussion going on, homeless man struck by a vehicle, dark alley, and he walks over to his cold case files and he finds Fardos's cold case. Look here. These two names, the two women who had claimed to be the next of kin, Golay and Ruddersmith. Now the case is more than just insurance, insurance fraud. It's about murder. Phone calls are made and the FBI and California State Department of Insurance 
are in on the case. Helen Golay and Olga Rutterschmidt did a lot of scheming together, but they also worked alone. For example, Golay probably engaged in another very sinister side hustle with her daughter Keisha. Both of them befriended a 97-year-old man named Fred Downey in Massachusetts, and they somehow convinced him to move to Santa. They told him this way, if he moved, Helen Golay would take care of him. Fred had very thinning, white, short hair, a prominent nose. He had a very slender face, and he was looking his age. But it wasn't too long until Golay and her daughter Keisha took over his house. They had him sign over the title. They had him sign over all his financial assets. And right away, the Golay women became his heirs. They literally drained his account of all his money. They borrowed money against his house, and then they sold it right from under him. While under their care, poor Mr. Fred Downey, he just became this emaciated man. He was in such poor health, and being 97 years old, of course, his health just went down. And in November of 2000, somehow... Fred Downey wandered off into traffic and was hit by a car. He lived for about a month, but because of his injuries, he passed away, and the case was determined to be an accident. Helen Golay spent a lot of time and energy involving herself in Keisha's romantic life. She did her best to wrangle Keisha into marrying an old, rich man. Helen even went to one boyfriend's mother and announced that the young man was not old enough or rich enough for her daughter. Now, let's think back to what she told the hairdresser about you should marry an old, rich man because then you could kill him with Viagra. Hmm. Once she had been arrested, Helen Golay tried to secure her freedom by claiming that Keisha was physically fit enough to carry out all of these schemes, take a poor homeless man and drug him up, drag him out into the middle of a dark alley and run him over. She was blaming Keisha for the crimes. And Helen Golay was saying, I just don't have enough strength to do all that. I'm just a frail old woman in her 70s. In other words, she blamed Keisha the crimes. And of course, it just did not hold up in court. Later, investigators would say that they thought Helen Golay was the mastermind behind the crimes between her and Olga. And you know, it's strange if you think about it because Helen Golay looked down her nose at these less fortunate people, at these people who just needed a hand up because she spent her time bouncing around between relatives when she was a child. And then she was in the foster care system. And it was after her father died in an untimely car death. But it was later guessed that she chose homeless people, people on the street, because maybe they just wouldn't be missed. Jimmy Covington 
was 48. He had no place to live, and he had very little to live on. Like so many guys before him, Jimmy found himself on the street. He was tall, he was thin, he was handsome, and he had short silver hair and just piercing blue eyes. But like so many guys, he had just fallen on hard times. Then he meets Olga Rutterschmidt. Olga treated Jimmy to this fast food meal, and she's talking to him and said, Hey, my friend Helen has an apartment. You know, she could help you obtain benefits while you live there. At least you'll be safe, and I can cook and care for you. Now, this sounds like a very good deal, and Jimmy moves in, and he's being taken care of by Olga, who just fawns all over him, and he's got a safe place to sleep. Thanks very much to Helen. But then these two women start making these crazy demands. First, they want him to sign documents, but they don't want to tell him what the documents are. Then they're asking for his social security number and his birthday. Jimmy doesn't feel very comfortable giving them these numbers, and so he makes up excuses. But then the situation comes around where they're asking for his social security number and birthday, and pretty soon they're not asking, they're demanding for the information. Well, Jimmy leaves these two alone, and he later discovers that Olga Rutterschmidt and Helen Golay had completed at least one life insurance policy application on him. They're the beneficiaries, and all of this is done without Jimmy Covington's knowledge. Law enforcement had figured out these two, and they had figured out their pattern, and they had set up a 24-7 surveillance team. Now, there was a lot of jokes going around the station about trailing little old ladies. And some of the detectives had explained, you don't understand, we have to follow these little old ladies and they're not as frail as they seem. They take these walks on the beach and on these trails. They're a lot more fit than you would think they are. But nonetheless, the surveillance just seems to be useless until... Olga is spotted talking to a Mr. Yosef Gabor. Now, Mr. Gabor is a very frail old man. He's a loner, and he lives in this little apartment just above the Hungarian Reformed Church. Now, investigators see Olga talking to Yosef. She's got papers, and she's always pointing to the papers and talking to him. The next thing you know, Olga is driving Yosef to a bank. They start seeing the beginning of this scam. First, she gets them to open a checking account. Then they're offered a free $1,000 policy. Next, they're offered another policy. Then they're offered a bigger policy. Pretty soon, the policies are growing, with dollar amounts being higher. Well, this is not enough evidence for murder, but it is enough for mail fraud. None of the investigators wanted anybody else fleeced. They didn't want anybody else scammed. And so on May 18, 2006, investigators decide to arrest the two women, and they want to arrest them separately. And they did. Now, when they arrested Helen, Boy, she was yelling and she was fighting and they had to just almost drag her out of her house. Once they're in police custody, Olga and Helen separately are not saying a word. 
They try their best tactics, and the two women refuse to speak. So the investigators get an idea. They put Olga and Helen in the same room. And this is where the two start talking. You're going to jail, honey. They're going to lock you up, Olga tells Helen. Helen advised Olga to stay quiet. They could be taping us, she tells her. But Olga just refused to listen. You did all these goddamn insurance extras. That's what raised the suspicion. You can't do that. Stupidity. And with those words, Olga helped seal their fate. It had taken nine months of investigation. Both women had amassed a total of $571.89 in insurance fraud. While the two women were in custody, police searched their houses. Helen Golay's house was a plethora of evidence. Remember, told you, Helen was a meticulous record keeper. Police found documents pertaining to Vados, Downey, and McDavid, as well as rubber stamps of Valdos's and McDavid's signatures. They also found a mixture of pills, enough to put an elephant to sleep, one of the investigators said, and these pills were ground into powder. The pills were found in Helen's home. Detectives fan out, and they're interviewing neighbors of Helen Golay and Olga Rutterschmidt. And detectives find out Helen Golay drove a Mercury Sable station wagon. One neighbor even says, you know what, I have a picture of that car in the background where I took a picture of a friend of mine. Hold on. Sure enough, neighbor comes out and has a photo of his friend, and in the background is a picture of Helen Golay's Mercury Sable station wagon. Now, Helen did indeed own that vehicle. She had purchased it using a stolen driver's license. The VIN of the vehicle is traced. Now, the car was found. It had been dumped. It had been towed. It was then sold at auction, and the new owners were this poor, unsuspecting family. Once investigators located the vehicle, they took it to forensics, and crime scene techs found Kenneth McDavid's blood and DNA in the station wagon's undercarriage. After using the Mercury Sable station wagon to kill Kenneth McDavid, that night, Helen Golay had called AAA to come tow the Mercury Sable station wagon. It was about a block away from where Kenneth McDavid's body was found. I ran over something and it had broken the fuel line, Helen had told the tow truck driver. The station wagon was then towed to Helen Golay's house. Helen abandoned the car just around the corner from her home. It was found, impounded, and later sold at auction. On March 18, 2008, Helen Golay, now 77, and Olga Rutterschmidt, now 75, were tried together for the first-degree murders of Paul Vados and Kenneth McDavid, as well as conspiracy to commit first-degree murder. There just wasn't enough evidence to charge Helen and her daughter Keisha with Downey's murder. By now, both women had lost their luster to jailhouse chow and living behind bars. Helen's once-proud quaff had dissipated into long, greasy gray waves down her back. Olga's hair had turned gray, the last remnants of brown clinging to the scraggly ends. 
They appear ages older than in their 70s, somewhat bent, their faces sallow from lack of lighting. The trial began on March 18, 2008, and lasted three weeks. The two pled not guilty, but neither testified. Helen Golay's private defense lawyer blamed Keisha. Keisha, he alleged, killed McDavid. Olga Rutterschmidt's public defender, meanwhile, shifted the blame onto Helen Golay. On April 18, 2008, both were found guilty of conspiracy to murder Paul Vados and Kenneth McDavid, and of first-degree murder of Paul Vados. Only Helen Golay is convicted of first-degree murder of Kenneth McDavid. Both women are sentenced to consecutive life terms without the possibility of parole. Helen Golay and Olga Rudersmith are serving their sentences in the Central California Women's Facility in Chowchilla, California. It's the same place that housed Dorothea Puente, who also committed the same types of crimes while in her golden years. Dorothea died in 2011. Currently, Olga is 89 years old. Helen is 91 years old. According to some sources, both are still attempting to scam others. This was the case of Olga and Helen, the granny grifters. Hey listeners, my name is Judith Yates, true crime author and criminologist, and I have taught common sense self-defense for over 25 years. I have finally put all of these classes together in a book that's called How to Recognize the Devil because I believe devils walk among us every day. And we can recognize these devils and escape crime if we know how. We can teach it to our children, to our elderly, and special interest groups. The book is available at www.besttruecrime.com or you can pick it up at amazon.com or wherever good true crime books are sold. Now, I don't make any money off of this book because I believe it's more important for you to learn how to use these skills. All the proceeds from this book goes to a nonprofit organization. Pick up a copy of How to Recognize the Devil. It does include worksheets for you to better use these skills taught in this book. And please be safe out there. Thank you for joining me on this investigation, exploring true crime, forensics, historic cases, dark history, and criminal theory. This is Best True Crime Podcast. No chatter, no commercials, no off-topic. I do hope you will subscribe. This podcast runs off donations only. You can drop us a donation, $35 or more, and I'll send you a signed book. Just go to www.besttruecrime.com. My name is Judith A. Yates, award-winning true crime author, a criminologist, and a paranormal explorer. Thank you for joining me on Best True Crime Podcast, a division of Best True Crime Books, Games, and Video, LLC. Be safe out there.